0: This is Alan Epley from Shiner and the Life and Times, and you are listening to the New Scene Podcast.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the new scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with a brand new episode, brand new show, brand new us. I've got a returning guest in the co-host seat with me, Simon Brody of Drowning Man. Simon, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you back, Simon. You know, a lot has changed uh, since the last time you were here. Tommy is gone he has left the show to spend more time with his family the show has has grown to new heights it's 2023 now it's a new year there's exciting things happening how are you doing i'm doing great
2: um yeah i have definitely been watching your trajectory over the last year you i mean uh you've been doing great stuff having great co-hosts uh and been enjoying it and Thank i'm you. glad that that tommy's uh he's he's uh, doing what he needs to do and sometimes that happens
1: Exactly. And I still talk to him. He's still doing well. He actually came back to co-host an episode over the summer. Love and it. uh love it. I anticipate we'll do that every summer. But Simon, it's great to have you here for the first new scene episode of 2023. This is very exciting, both that you're co-hosting, because you know, you're a very uh popular figure in the underground music world, and I'm very curious to hear what you've been up to. But also, our first interview of the year is a big one. The one, the only, Tim Singer of Dead Guy and Kiss It Goodbye and Bitter Branches and...
2: No Escape. Just, yeah. boiling.
1: No Escape. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He's done it all. We talk about it all. And that conversation is coming up soon. You have heard it, Simon. Tell the people how much they're going to love it.
2: They're going to love (laughs) it. I mean uh there's no mistaking that uh dead guy was was a huge influence on drowning Man. They were a huge influence on a lot of bands when uh I particularly like how you guys were talking about how there was a kind of a, a separation at that time you know what it meant to be a kind of metal core band and they kind of came at it in a whole different direction and just there's a lot of great stuff in that interview i'm um, talking about I was just impressed how it 's like this is the first time that lineup actually has been playing live and it's like 20 years later. We played a lot with them in the, in the stages after uh, that record came out. And I mean, play with them like every three or four months and there would be new members. I, I, I can't, I can't knock that cause we've done it. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's great to hear that they're uh, doing it again. And they're at a point in their lives where they can really, uh, Look back on things and enjoy the music, and you know, put aside all the band politics, and it's enjoying what you uh, what you do and celebrating that that great fucking record. I mean, fixation on a coworker is you know is foundational for a lot of bands.
1: Yeah, all of the third wave avant garde technical metalcore that I came into the scene on, Drowning Man included. I mean, Dead Guy. I would say all of those bands sight dead guy is a reference drowning man botch coalesce converge dillinger you name it
2: um i was living in boston around the time that that came out i i i mean that record even had a profound influence on converge early cave and stuff uh just showing that there was a way to incorporate metal into it which uh was not calling for you to bust your buddy in the face as hard as you could. (laughs) Right. So geez, around, I I did see this lineup and it was before that record came out. Again, I was living in Boston. It was around 94. I was sick of hardcore at that point. I've been playing in hardcore bands. We were playing more uh, emo type stuff. Uh, I was in a short-lived band. We played with uh, Portraits of Past and Split Lip. I I had just kind of lost faith in hardcore, and then I went to uh, a show in Connecticut. It was Dead Guy and Lifetime, and I hadn't ever seen Dead Guy. I'd heard about him. It just blew my fucking mind. I mean, Keith was—he was playing guitar, and there was like a string of drool hanging from his mouth to the guitar strap, and he's doing backup vocals. It was incredible. They were doing a weekend. Um, I took off. I, I I called in, and went and saw him again in Rhode Island, and again, fucking breathtaking. That that band was a, a force live.
1: Okay, so that conversation's coming up shortly. Let's talk business. Here's how you can support me: the new scene. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at new scene pod. We've got shirts at Deathwish Inc. I would like to do another push for five star reviews. Go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And give me five stars. You have everything to gain and nothing to lose. And we've got a new five-star review. Review number 108 has finally come in. Let's hear it. I'm going to read it for you right now. Five stars from Dubster 077. Great pod. Only recently found out about this pod and love the content so far. Good mix of interviews and various sounds from the underground. Keep it up. Thank you, Dubster. You are review 108. And that is a special number to be. So thank you. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. Follow them on Instagram at Iodine Recordings or check out their website at iodinerecords.com. It's going to be a big year for the new scene and it's going to be a big year for Iodine Recordings. They have a big announcement coming up this month in January. Strap in. It's going to blow your mind. Uh I'm going to leave it right there, Simon. I'm going to leave it right there.
2: I, I I think that that uh, I I should know more about this,
1: and I'm not going to say anything. But yeah, we're we're going to talk after after the mics go off. I'm I'm going to fill you in on what's going on. And say hello to our new sponsor, Bridge Nine Records. That's right, Bridge Nine Records will be sponsoring the next few months of the show. You know them, you love them. They are a classic label in the world of hardcore and associated genres. Make sure you stop by the new Bridge Nine Label HQ in Beverly, Massachusetts. That's about 35 minutes north of Boston or one town over from Salem. It includes a record store. There's 25 plus years of all 39 silver editions of the Bridge Nine discography in the store. You can pick those up. And it's not just Bridge Nine stuff. It's all things hardcore and punk. You can find a lot of great stuff in there. Go and check out the store. You may even see Chris Wren himself there. Also, to celebrate 25-plus years of Bridge9 Records, they have given The Things We Carry by Have Heart the silver vinyl treatment. Bridge9 has pressed a one-time edition of 1,000 copies on silver vinyl It's housed in black and white printed jackets on silverboard. You can only get it at the Bridge9 store. It's limited to one per customer. Head to the store, pick this up before it's gone. You want to get your hands on it, and you want to get your hands on it soon. A lot of other classic Bridge9 releases have the silver vinyl treatment. Some are sold out, some aren't. Head to the store, see what's up, grab one today. And finally, Chris Wren himself was recently on the New Scene Podcast, episode 147. If you haven't heard it, listen to it. Highly recommended. For more information, head to the Bridge9 website at bridge9.com the or their Instagram at bridge9. That's bridge N-I-N-E. Simon, mm. now I have to check in with you. I heard something very startling mm. when you were on the Pure Pleasure podcast. Are you on the Marijuana maintenance plan now, Simon? This is is an edge check. I got to check in on you. Edge
2: check. I am currently sipping a uh, spendthrift uh, pineapple seltzer. Um, I have not touched alcohol. I did uh, briefly experiment with uh, with marijuana.
1: Uh Uh-oh. Well, listen, I'm going to leave this on a cliffhanger. Check back in with me and Simon. We're going to get into it. I'm going to talk to him more. We're going to see what he's up to. We're going to talk about the holidays. We're going to cover everything. But right now, we are going to speak to Tim Singer of Dead Guy and Bitter Branches. Enjoy. Down! Don't say goodbye. We are here now with Tim Singer. Tim, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.
1: It's great to have you here, Tim. You know, you've done a lot over the years. Dead guy, kiss it goodbye, bitter branches, a lot of great graphic design work. And we're going to cover all of that stuff. But Tim, first, let me ask you, how are you doing today?
0: I'm pretty good. Uh, You know, it's mid-December. My kids, believe it or not, are all out of high school, so they're all They're coming back from college. I'm I'm that old. So, you know, it's like work ramps up. Bands actually sort of taper off a little bit right now. And I don't know, getting ready for the end of the year, really.
1: Yeah, bands are usually on hiatus right now until the new year, right? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we
0: toy with doing things, but it ends up everybody's, somebody's got something going on that becomes, it's, it's even hard to practice right now. So many of the guys that I'm in bands with have younger kids and stuff like that. So it's like, I feel like I haven't seen anybody from from either band in like
1: weeks. Oh wow! Yeah, how many kids do you have? Three. Are they and they're all out of high school now?
0: Yeah, I got twins. They're they're eighteen. Ruby took a year off. Like she's just um, basically climbs seven days a week um, and sort of deferred college for a year or two. Ian's coming home from RIT. He's up in Rochester. Stella, my oldest, she's a senior at. Pratt in Brooklyn. It's an art school. So yeah, that's my world.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah, I actually I'm in Brooklyn. I actually used to live right near Pratt, so I know I know about that school. Nice. Wow. That so three kids, (laughs) all in college or almost in college. That's uh that's got to be pretty intense.
0: Yeah. You know the funny thing is like when they were young, it was intense. I mean, I was you know I did I had nothing to do with music when they were young. It was it's like too much manual labor. If you actually want to be around your kids and enjoy them. Um, then they become young adults and like they become cool people and you sort of rediscover the cool shit you used to do and you get to share it with them in a in a cool way. So yeah, I don't know, I feel like I came came through parenthood on the other side in terms of like now um the parents of, like you no, know, they're the age I was when I met my wife and started bands and did fanzines. So it's it's kinda cool. They feel sorta like peers.
1: That's amazing. What do they think of uh, your musical life? Have they seen your bands? Have they seen you perform? What do they think of it?
0: Yeah, they they, they have seen it. When Dead Guy got put together, it was sort of an event. So they were sort of pulled into that. And and that was sort of, you know, they went to a movie premiere in Philly. They saw us play in L.A. They saw us play in Brooklyn. Um, you know, they've sold merch for us at several shows. I'm not sure if they've seen Bitter Branches. But dead guy, you know, they definitely they, they love it. <clears throat> they don't listen to the music so much. You know, I, I wasn't the kind of dad that put my kids in Ramones T shirts and gave them Mohawks when they were young or something. You no. Know, I let <laughs> yeah. them find their own their own wavelength. But uh they, I, they dig it, you know. Um and it's funny because if they wear the gear, you know, people might, you know, they get sort of stopped once in a while at the rock climbing gym or something, and someone's surprised to see a dead guy sticker or something like that. Um, but I think they think it's cool.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, it must be very interesting for them because you you have this whole separate life. I mean, there's a documentary film about Dead Guy. You've done a number of acclaimed bands. You know, people want to see you. It's like pretty neat.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, they grew up sort of aware of it, but I don't think they expected, you know, me to get back on stage, to be back and doing bands and, you know, the the level of spectacle that some of this stuff has resulted in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, it's sort of, I I scratch my head. So I'm sure they're like, what the hell, you know? Yeah, but it's fun. And like everybody they meet, super cool. I don't know. It's just such a great, it's great to expose them to this shit. Like, especially, I don't know, like, like these shows are put on independently and you meet, you know, it's such a world. It's such a huge network, the music world um, that, you know, most people don't know about. So to be able to sort of expose them to that and all these sort of, creative people, entrepreneurial people that, you know, especially as my kids enter that age of like joining the quote unquote workforce, which I can't stand that term. <laughs> um, just the idea that there's people out there just doing their own thing. Right. Um, and being and just different definitions of success and creativity and all that kind of shit. Um, I love being able to expose them to that.
1: Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, they weren't sure or you weren't sure that you were going to do this again. And I wasn't sure you were either because dead guy was one of the last remaining holdouts you know i wasn't sure if you would ever play again and there was always rumors there was rumors for years like what what was it that finally got you back on stage with the band
0: um i would credit two two outside forces first would be decibel magazine um they they put us in their hall of fame they they managed to get all of us in an interview 10 years ago or so um and I didn't think much more of it than, like, that was fun to, like, hear their voices again and sort of not feel hatred towards them for shit. I don't even really remember why I would hate any of them anyway. You know, but then that that's sort of, I was still, like, I had, like, young twins and, you know, like, you know, three kids. And I worked for myself and just trying to make ends meet. And, you know, I wasn't really. And, and Dead Guy, it's not like we sold out, you know, giant clubs or something like that. I got the sense we were getting more popular the the longer we were broken up in that weird way. But um, it wasn't like I had these delusions that we were um, raging against the machine or something. So I didn't, I didn't give it a whole lot of thought. Um, and then Dave, the drummer, our drummer um, ran into bill from fourth media, fourth wall media the name of his company, but um, they ran into each other and bill was like a, producer videographer and they they started shooting the shit and talked to the guys and Bill was like, I really wanted the dead guy documentary. Dave's like, "Both those idiots are willing to get on camera. Sure. You know, like I don't think he's necessarily thinking this is going to get the band back together or anything. So we all sort of got into the same room for the first time forever because of this documentary. And I think we all instantly, you know, 25 years melted away and we were the same Sort of dorks that we used to be hanging out with each other. It was just easy and fun. And I realized that I'd sort of cut ties with like my best friends from my 20s from college, some of my best friends, um, for no real good reason, right? Music makes you super passionate, um, you know, and there's super highs and super lows, I guess. And you can be prone to melodrama. And especially when you tour in a cargo van and tours to fall apart and all that kind of shit. And you're only in your 20s and you're just mentally you know, not even fully formed as a human, Um, you know, all that. So all that said, like, I think we just were like, okay, this is kind of cool. And if if this isn't a joke and people actually do like us or, you know, sure. Like I still like the music, you know, and I I love these guys. So, you know, I think we just were like, all right, let's just do these initial shows and see what happens, you know? And this idea that there's a movie premiere was like, I I was beside myself thinking like, who the hell is going to go to this thing? And then that was a blast. So I don't know, it's just, you know, it's just been fun, you know? Um, And it's funny because the music still is what it is. It's like we're we're still on fire when we play, but I think at the same, you somehow enjoy it and it's a fun show at the same time. It's more like us against them in terms of like everybody at the show. I feel like we are the we and the them is anybody not there. And there's this really, and I think the appreciation for live music was amplified by COVID so, um, I don't know. It's just all, it's, it's been great.
1: Yeah. You know, it, fun is a good way to describe it. I saw dead guy for the first time. You just played that gig in New York city with a veil vale and suicide machines and right. other, uh, other bands I'm forgetting. And, uh, I saw it and it was awesome. Like it, people weren't like crowd killing each other or hurting each other. It, it just seemed like everybody was having a really good time. Myself included. Awesome.
0: That's good to hear. Because, like, my my thing is too. It's like um, we're pissed off. We're full of angst, but we're not. We're not tough, right? We're just. <laughs> it's almost like extreme emo or something. Like, I never wanted to come across tough. Like, you know what I mean? I never wanted to be the band that was like background music for a kickboxing festival on on the dance. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not interested in that. There's plenty of bands that provide that. That's not ever who we are trying to be. We were definitely trying to be ugly and destroy, and especially in the context of like when Dead Guy happened, everybody was sort of I don't know worrying about signing to labels and playing for A and R guys as much as anything else, and I don't know, sort of aiming for the radio, and so you know the music was a definite reaction to that. Like fuck that, this is supposed to be ugly and exclusive and ours and not for the fucking popular kids. And, you know, like for the me who was 14, you know, so it was that, 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 I, mean, I don't think we ever lose sight of that. Right. Like we sort of enjoy not quite. fitting
1: Yeah. And you didn't, I mean, no one else really sounded like dead guy. And I'm always surprised to remember that fixation on a coworker actually came out on victory records because victory was mostly tough guy bands and the kickboxing and all that stuff. And I always remember like, Oh wait, yeah, that record was on Victory, and it it, just, it surprises me.
0: Yeah, and you know, it just sort of happened. It sort of fell into Victory, like Engine Records, didn't we recorded, and it sat around forever recorded. And Dave could speak better to this because he handled all that kind of crap back then. But like basically, Engine just couldn't put it out, um, and they, they're the ones who put out the Work Ethic seven inch. And I think Victory just had the money and the and the distribution, and and I didn't even know who they were when when we. Landed on Victory, like to me, they were like just another new label. I didn't know anything about them. You know, I wanted to be on Revelation, and yeah, and then Victory, I think, you know, probably already had that reputation, and then maybe it had more of it after we signed. I don't, you know, who knows? Um, I never honestly paid a lot of attention to Victory bands, so I, I, you know, and I never played. Keith and I left the band before the record even came out. Oh, really? Yeah, isn't that crazy? I didn't even realize that until the director pointed it out to me. Um, wow. Yeah, he's like, yeah. He's like, this is the first time you guys are playing to support this record with the lineup that recorded. <laughs> so it's kind of That's so crazy. odd. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of nuts.
1: So take us back to that time. Now, Dead Guy is like almost its own genre now. If you're playing like noisy, somewhat technical, hardcore with the shouting style vocals, you know, Dead Guy is always sighted, but when you're initially putting the band together, what bands are you seeing? Who's influencing you?
0: Right. Um, you know, me personally, I'm being influenced by my very hardcore upbringing of, you know, Black Flag, Minor Threat, anything Henry Rollins, anything John Brannan, like, you know, Laughing Hyenas. These are the people that I was emulating that I thought wrote great lyrics and delivered them really well. Um in a you know, even writes a spring like and it's sort of anything that was like brutal and desperate but understandable, you know. Um I really wanted need to be able to understand the lyrics. I can't stand sort of blurry cookie monster vocals. Um so that's where I was coming from and like where they were coming from sonically, I think is everything from like Hawkins and Voivod and that his whole metal worlds. Um uh I couldn't even, you know, I'm sure Slayers in there or Iron Maiden, who the hell knows? Um, but even but contemporaries like Death and Killman or Today's the Day or the Cows are insane. Like we were uh, looking outside the immediate hardcore scene, you know, because um, you know Dave and Crispy were in Lifetime, Huckins was he was in Rorschach, which actually were ahead of their time. Um, you know, I came out of No Escape and I came from the New York hardcore scene, so. You know, I wasn't interested in doing intros and then mosh parts. Um, none of us were, you know. None of us were interested in sort of more melodic emo-ish things. You know, um, I think we were all interested in just bringing some chaos, bringing and bringing just I don't know high energy, right? Just that sense of abandon and and you know, it's not not. It's not for everybody, right? It's sort of, you know, uneasy listening, right? Like, it's it's not meant um, for you to go home and play it for your parents. You know what I mean? Like, it, that's not... I, I felt like the hardcore scene was really sort of sadly, like, following this carrot on a string held up by, you know, big labels of money because Nirvana got signed and Quicksand got signed and, um, you know, I think everybody thought they were going to be the next whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so we we were, like, a reaction to that. So there's as much, you know, attitude-wise, but, you know, in terms of, like, song, I think, you know, they're all sort of metal kids, noise kids. I was more of the hardcore guy. But, you know, we all were, like, loving Laughing Hyenas, Rollins, Jesus Lizard, all that kind of stuff. Um, Today's the Day was, was big. Um, Craw. You know, I don't know. There's bands out there that we thought, Almost deserved more attention and felt more hard and scary and dangerous than a lot of the current quote unquote hardcore yeah you know?
1: yeah, I think uh when dead guy was coming up, there was a big well th- that was like the beginning of the metallic hardcore boom, i guess you you know you got earth crisis, strife, snapcase, all that stuff, and dead guy is certainly stands on their own in terms of sound, like separate from all that stuff and I, I think you're one of the pioneers. And then I came in on the second wave of all that. You have a uh, botch and Dillinger escape really? plan and converge and all the super technical avant-garde stuff. I erred more towards that because the, the tough guy, traditional hardcore stuff just turned me off.
0: Yeah. I'm the same. I, like, you know, um, yeah, like we, it's like, we wanted to be ugly and just, you know, I don't, Almost like born against in a way, but like, in you know, a in our own way, like just, Ugly and um, unashamed, but not not tough guy, right? And I feel like all that Earth Crisis stuff, that was almost like part two of like, like New York had that initial metal kind of metalcore wave, right? Chromags are part of yeah. that. And I don't, every band was like, they, it felt like every hardcore band got some really good guitar player and was doing metalcore, you know? And that was a big thing for a while. And all those bands sort of seemed a little like tough guy bands to me. And I never liked really any of them. And I wouldn't have been interested in being in one of those bands, you know?
1: So you mentioned, you know, dead guys doing their thing and the focus became playing for A&R guys and trying to get on the radio. Was that a reality at the time? Like you're in dead guy, dead guys touring. Are we thinking like maybe we can get on MTV like Biohazard or there is an A&R guy to play for like something like that?
0: No, but it was more like, you know, I came from the New York scene and I knew so many guys that worked at labels and becoming A&R guys for this or for that. You know, and I was told more than once, like, hey man, if you if you just sang a couple of songs, you know, blah blah blah. And like I'm the kind of person like the second you make a suggestion to zig, I'm gonna zag, right? Like that's just like that's just my natural instinct. So so it's reality in terms of that, where but you know, like for every Quicksands and Nirvana, there's a hundred bands that fucking sold out or existed for no good reason. I um, went nowhere right they, they, and then it's like what are you doing this for like the second you're not doing it for yourself and when you're and when you're just starting out too you have no you have no leg to stand on like so if you you know like if a label throws money at you and you get the to tour in a cool van and you're all ba- oh, you're really you're just in debt you know and you just got a really expensive lease on something and now you just have no control and then most of those bands just disintegrated. So it's like, I don't know. We, we just weren't interested in that. Like, it was going to happen. And I don't think any of us really... I, we might have thought it could have happened, like, once bands. Like, now it's crazy how many bands get big that sounds... Like, like that can sound super heavy. Like, it's kind of... Like, but that was unfathomable back then. Um, and I think if we ever did, theoretically... If we were to ever have those kind of conversations, it would have been after we had established ourselves as, you know, masters of our own sort of domain... And that would have been on our terms.
1: So, how old are you in the heyday of the band when you're out touring and all that?
0: Uh, Mid twenties.
1: And where are you at mentally at the time? Do you want to do music as a do you want to like make a career out of it, or do you just want to tour and be out on the road? Like, what is your relationship with it, and where do you want to go in life? I mean,
0: Dead Guy, we were all we met like we were we were like you know basically a college band, right? Like we, we met at Rutgers and. It was never like a plan. I don't, you know, maybe start to. No, our plan was play every single fucking weekend and just play, and then tour in the summer. That was sort of like probably the unofficial plan, and then you know maybe someday Europe or something. Um, I don't think any of us really thought like this was going to be a day job. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't my mentality. Um, I don't know. We never really got around to talking about it that much because we didn't. We, you know, we imploded after one national tour, and none of my other bands ever really. We, we talked about you know trying to swing five weeks here and there. That seems like a doable thing back then. Now it seems even that's even harder. Now everybody's got careers and stuff. But Another, I think the mentality it would have been like if it like you know there's definitely it's self sustained, but it wasn't like you know you weren't getting huge guarantees like we you know one of the reasons we made so much merch is because that's where you actually make money you know and. And I am a designer, so I like making merch. And it's the only way we could tell people liked us in the beginning, because they would stand there almost like scratching their heads or nodding their heads. And then um but then they'd buy the shit out of our merch after the show. So we figured, oh, they probably liked us. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, I don't know. I don't think um yeah, we didn't really think of it in terms of career or um I think of like the tour went famously well and we came home with a couple of bucks. We might have been like, well, let's do that sooner than later, and then just might have rolled out from there. Um, but I don't think any of us were really trying to, you know, plan our careers around it.
1: And how was the reception to the band at the time? I mean, now, like I mentioned before, Dead Guy is almost its own genre. So many bands cite Dead Guy as an inspiration. You know, you've certainly you certainly carved out your own niche in the world of hardcore, but how were the shows at the time?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, Generally, the way it worked was, I, I think we we you know we sort of won over New Brunswick. Like right? that's the town we were in. Our shows got sort of bigger and better, and um, yeah, we, we played some really good shows in New Brunswick. And then I think, um, you know, we had a couple of seven inches out. We we'd play the same clubs like One Fifty Eight or Tune In and stuff like that. And those shows, you know, we played with really good bands like Neurosis and, and, and stuff like that. So. It, it felt like we were, you know, we basically were gaining momentum. We we always, you know, and I, I still, I really enjoyed those initial shows where like, I think if we felt like we were good, that was good enough. Right. And cause we knew we sort of destroyed the place cause we were loud and we were insane. But then it was like, it was one of those things where it's like, Oh, then you go back and there's more people. Right. And then they're really into it. And So, I don't know, I felt like it was just sort of building. the way, And I I feel like that's how it's supposed to work, right? Like, um, you sort of earn your stripes, right? And then tour is like doing that all over again. You know, you you go and you play some skate ramp and you might open up for some band or play second or third or whatever. People don't quite know who you are, but you just blew the doors off, even if it's not the kind of music they were expecting. You give them something to talk about. That that was sort of the goal.
1: So, you mentioned uh, the first national tour, that ended up blowing up. What happened?
0: Again, a better question for Dave. They booked it um, with some promoter. I think she ended up being sort of from hell. Um, his shows were falling apart. We were, like, getting stranded in places. Um, we ended up getting sort of stranded in Seattle for several days, and, and that's sort of where a rift... I mean, maybe a rift is already developing in the band, where it's like, Hopkins and I sort of formed one camp and the other guys sort of formed another. And part of that was like one of my best friends in college lived in Seattle. He moved out there right after graduation after he graduated. And I was I was staying with him living large, right? Like he rented a house and I was having a blast. And I'm not even sure where the rest of the band stayed, you know, like um and I had saved up some money, so I wasn't in a rush to get home, but some of the other guys were sort of broke, so they were they were in a rush to get home. <laughs> <'Cause> it, <laughs> You know, so, and I wasn't very empathetic to that, um, in in all honesty, so, I don't know, I think we, we sort of, yeah, we sort of formed these two camps that would, like, sort of talk behind each other's backs, which is not a real good formula for a bunch of guys that got to get into a cargo van together and go play some shows on on the way across. And so I think Dave was doing everything he could to book some shit, and he's probably calling Tony victory for money, and I think we might have driven straight from Seattle to Chicago. I, I, I don't really remember. It's like all a blur so long ago. And, you know, the other thing is like I was oblivious because like I didn't book the shows. I I didn't even really drive because everybody else likes driving so much and I can read in the van. So I was like happy. So I barely paid attention to that stuff. You know, I just, <laughs> um, and it's not like you're living in a lap of luxury. You're still squished in this van. But I was like happy to not drive. I could just read forever or like, I don't know. Even like work on lyrics or something, right? But uh, you know, Dave's the one, and this is like free cell phone, free everything. You know, Dave's the one trying to deal with like making sure the shows are booked and getting paid and getting from getting to the next place and dealing with like you know booking agents and shit like that. Um, and I was oblivious to all of that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm I'm just imagining you like renting a house with your friend and hanging out. You're like, ah, eh, I'm in Seattle now. It's fine. <laughs> he,
0: he literally like lived in this nice neighborhood near Kurt Cobain's house. He, he introduced <laughs> me to like lattes. Like it was the most cliche Seattle thing ever.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, that's like the the coffee house era, and like
0: yeah, before like you know, there was maybe four Starbucks in the world at the time, right? So it was like. You know, Seattle sort of like had its coffee scene, but it wasn't like this national thing yet. So I'm like discovering coffee shops and like, like literally I moved out there after that. Like I fell in love with the city. So, you know, my bad. But um, yeah, so we basically got back and, uh, you know, I was, I've been with my wife, then girlfriend since before anything, right? Since, since 87, we started going out together. So. You know, every like I always put that above everything else when you, you know, when you ask, like, you know, band and career and all that kind of stuff, you know, I always put us first, you know, um, because she's the only thing that's forever as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, um, and that's that's all true so far. So I think I make some good decisions once in a while, but uh, you know, so obviously I basically got back and I was like, I want to move to Seattle. She's like, sure, let's do it because <laughs> we, we were done with college, we didn't really want. New Jersey was like, eh, you know, like once you're done with college, it felt like, and I, and I, you know, I was like, ah, oh, I'll just do dead guy remote. It'll be easy. You know? And Dave was like, fuck that. Plus he probably hated me anyway. Um,
1: <laughs> so, yeah. So you, you still wanted to do the band, but from Seattle. And I guess uh, Dave and the rest of the band were not okay with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, they were just like, let's just like, you know, let's just, cut it you know what i mean like and they're right like it, i don't think it would have worked first of all like, cause yeah we i think we still want to do like you know we're still like in the mode of playing tons of weekends that kind of thing so um so the idea that i would move and then we'd only ever play it from toward was probably a really silly thought i gave I it some real thought
1: so you move out there with your wife how soon does keith move out there and the idea of kiss it goodbye come together
0: um kissing goodbye formed before i even had the time to move out there so it was like and then it formed on the basis that those guys knew i was moving and they would move too so Ah, um okay that happened yeah so that it all happened fast like everything happened so fast back then right like yeah no escape dead guy and kissing goodbye in like a three-year span or something you know it's crazy how how much shit you would do so fast back then you know because like you know, Kissing Goodbye opened for Napalm Death at Coney Island High, like, you know, only months after the, the dead guy split, right? Like, it's kind of kind of crazy to think about.
1: That is pretty wild. I, I've been trying to put together my current band for two years now. Right. And you're like, you know, a couple months later, you're opening for Napalm Death at Coney Island High.
0: Yeah, it's kind of nuts, right? I mean, Hawkins was like, basically what I did... What what happened was Kissing Goodbye was basically Rorschach with, with me singing instead of Charles, right? Like, what? we were, like, lucky that Andrew was, like, I think Die 116 broke up, so Andrew Gormley was available. Tom Rusnak moved back from Germany to play bass, you know? Um, and so the three of them had already written together, you know? And Keith and I had already written together, so, you know, it all came pretty easy. And everybody was just super into being, like, band, 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 you know?
1: Yeah. So the the relationships are there. The previous working relationships are there. So you, it, the pieces fall into place pretty quickly. That makes sense. And uh, Dead Guy continued on for a while after you and Keith left. Did you? What did you think of that?
0: I I honestly never listened to it until I <laughs> I, I listened to it only recently at Dave's place when I was hanging out with him in New York.
1: What did you think of it?
0: I I like um, I like some of it actually. Like it's funny because I think it got panned a lot, you know, for being fake dead guy or whatever. Like, you know, I I like my vocals better. I'm I'm a, I'm a little biased, but um, yeah, I, I actually think like some of those songs could be sort of revived, you know, because um, like if you think about it, like Dave and Crispy started the band, and and they were like I would argue the ones with the vision, you know. So um, I do think my you know Keith's guitar and my vocals definitely. Like the whole thing is a, is a beautiful sort of alchemy, right? But, but it's not like Dave and Crispy were like, oh, I guess we'll start writing now because those guys left and we'll fake it. It was you no, know, they were doing all this shit before me and Keith came along, right? They were trying to, like, sort of dream this up, you know. So, um, like, you know, and Dave writes a ton of shit to this day, you know, and it's all like so much of it's like really, really good. Um, it's kind of crazy, and he's added guitar playing to his abilities. So you know, he records so much shit that he shares with us, and then we, you know, we, we work on and practice and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, so I heard it once when I was recording the Kiss Goodbye album. Billy Billy Anderson played it for me, just to, almost just to like stick my nose in it because like, he didn't <laughs> tell me what it was, and then he's like, "Ah, it's Dead Guy." But uh, so I heard, it, I heard like one, part of one song briefly. He's just like he did it just to fuck with me. But I wasn't in the mind space to listen to it because I still felt a little sort of bitter or it was like a bad breakup, you know. Yes. Plus I'm in the studio recording my own record and I don't really listen to anything else when I'm doing that. So um so that's that was my brief encounter with it back in like ninety six, and then I didn't hear it again until last earlier this year.
1: Yeah, I've heard that re- the newer record once. I I got into your bands later. Uh, I, I discovered Dead Guy through, I think you know the gentleman and uh, all. All else failed. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they they love you. They love Dead Guy. So I was in a band with some of them. So I listened to Dead Guy, and then I don't know. Sometime within the last eight years or so. I was like, wait, I never heard that newer record. And I listened to it and I liked it. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't find it offensive or anything. And I, I thought it was fine. Right. Yeah. I
0: feel like in the context of the time, it was like, you know, there was definitely camps and I played into that at a show or two, probably, you know, um, <laughs> especially in New York, you know, New York felt like, um, you know, Keith is sort of a New York kid. You know, he's was a very North Jersey kid. So New York felt like our turf a little bit, I guess. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, in the, at the time i think there was, it was all about context you know like there's you know dead guy and then there's dead guy part 2 and it wasn't cool to like dead guy part 2 so there's people i think who like were secretly enjoying it and you know you, it's almost like you're not allowed to lit, like black flag without henry rollins or or you only like black flag without henry rollins like that kind of stuff right like,
1: yeah um, there's all these like uh, when you're younger and in the in the hardcore scene, especially, there's all these factions and rules, and I remember all of it being so important. Right, and I really just don't even give a shit now. I just I just listen to things, and I'm like, I like it or I don't. Exactly, it's that simple. Yeah,
0: there's no such thing as like you know a guilty pleasure. It's like if you like it, you like it. Fuck it.
1: So you're in Seattle. We are playing in kiss it goodbye. How is it going? I mean, are you enjoying being in the band? Are you enjoying Seattle?
0: Yeah, I mean Seattle. Um, it was definitely it was a fun ride for the six seven years I was there. Um, yeah, kissing goodbye. We practiced like five days a week. You know, we I think um, all of us wanted to see. And this goes back to your question too about you know doing the band for a living and all that kind of stuff or whatever. And it wasn't even still it still wasn't about doing a band for a living. It was like, what if this band was like just such a priority, right? Like, what if work just happened to be a thing you do and really what you want what you do how you define yourself is this band that was sort of the approach we took right we we fucking like it was like a job really not a job makes it sound lame but it was like you know it was like this big commitment it was like you know we went into this you know we had a permanent space and we went there all the time and just and we played fucking loud and that like, those were like good shows in that room. Um, and we just wanted to become like a machine, you know, um, I probably read get in the van or something uh, by wrongs and got a little obsessed or something. But, uh, yeah, so that was like our mindset. And then, so we felt like we could play a show. If someone asked to, to do a show, we could play the next day and be tight as fucking hell and, and loud and whatever. Um, yeah, we we played a ton of great shows. There's there's a lot of great shows to be played in, in Seattle at the time. As you know, Botch around coming up, and a bunch of other bands. I'm sure that I don't remember the names of anymore. But uh, you know, there's cool clubs like the Crocodile and Velvet Elvis and OK Hotel and shit like that. Um, you know, and we did a couple of tours, Unsane, Obituary, um, stuff like that. You know, we got signed to Rev, which I thought was cool. We even got signed to Sub Pop to do a single, but we broke up, so it never came out. Or well, actually, it came out on Red. it's the last Red release, but it was actually supposed to come out on Sub Pop. So, you know, and like the, the head of Sub Pop was coming to our shows and really wanted us on their label, which is kind of crazy. So, I don't know, I felt like the band was doing pretty well, you know, and I felt like if we didn't break up, we just sort of, I don't know, um, I felt like it just sort of ran its course or we just ran out of juice. Like, I feel like I, I wanted to start having. It wasn't like an official decision, like I want to have kids or whatever. But I, I think I felt like, um, all right, we did that for a little while, and I wanted to like prioritize some other things. Keith wanted to move back east, you know. Um, you know, we made some good records, and then you know, yeah, sort of just ended. It.
1: So it wasn't like a, uh, it wasn't like one breaking point or anything. It just kind of everybody just kind of did other stuff.
0: Yeah, and I I felt a little bit like um like I could tell I was like not like if we were offered another tour it was going to be really hard for me. It's getting it's getting hard for me to pull myself away from my home life, my life at home. Home life sounds weird, but yeah, you no know, I didn't want to be in a position where I was faking it or you know, doing it begrudgingly. So yeah, and I, we never had like some big meeting like it's over. It just sort of, we just sort of understood.
1: Yeah, I've been in that situation before where it's like, oh, you just never schedule the next practice. And it's like, oh, I guess it's over now.
0: Right. Yeah, and like they were all still my good friends and I would still see Tom, the bass player, I'd see him all the time. And, we, and, we, and then we even started, we sort of just started fucking around making other music. And it's almost like sometimes, yeah, breaking up, Freeze you to kind of be like to like rethink, you know, your approach, or it takes a little pressure off or something. I don't know.
1: So it's a goodbye is done, and you know the band was the focus. You're practicing five days a week, which is wild, and now that's done. So what happens? You're in Seattle. You're with your girlfriend, who is now your wife. What do you do? What comes next?
0: Um. Well, you know, Stella came along not not too long after that so that fills your days (laughs) oh yeah um yeah i mean i think i hung out with my wife a lot i probably played more ultimate um you know i probably took my design career a little more seriously i probably rode my bike more you know just shit like that you know Um, yeah i don't know and then uh i mean before we knew it we you know like 9-11 happened not that long after that like i don't know you know And I did end up, like, still fucking around. Like, there's one, you know, I did a practice or two with, like, the drummer from Murder City Devils and Tom on bass, who's singing and I think one guy ended up in Death Cab for Cutie, like, just shit like that. I don't know, he still still fucked around. Like, I still always was around musicians and he'd still, like, just sort of jam, you know, shit like that. I think we just, like, the grind was gone, which is kind of a relief. It's hard on my throat, to be honest, too, man. Like, my throat hurt all the time, like it was, it's not the healthiest thing to seem like me all the time, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know, like, yeah, you know, life has a way of filling your days, man. So it's like, um, in Seattle, there's, there's a lot to do, so I it's not like I was bored all of a sudden. I definitely, you know, and then after a couple of years, you're sort of like, you know, you miss it, you get a little nostalgic for it, and you wonder if you'll ever do it again a little bit, you know, yeah. But again, I'm raising, now I'm raising, I went from one kid to three, you know, now I'm living in Philly, trying to make ends meet with three kids. And
1: How did you move back to the East Coast? When did that happen?
0: 9-11 was sort of the instigator of like wanting to be back East where all my roots are in a way, you know? Um, so I don't know, was. not know, I might have moved back like '02 2 or '03 3 when Stella was really young. We wanted Stella to also grow up around aunts, uncles, and cousins and stuff like that, back East. So that happened pretty quickly after 9/11. 9-11 really made me realize I was only visiting Seattle. Yeah, you know, we chose Philly because it was livable. You know, New York didn't seem that livable if you want to raise kids, you know, that that kind of thing.
1: No, it's impossible unless you're rich. Yeah,
0: exactly. So uh, yeah, yeah, and 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 my wife Tammy, she's from South Jersey, like way south. So it's like uh, Philly's way closer to to family in that regard. So that's how we chose Philly. And then I realized quickly how many how. The music scene here never really went away like i went away i went and sort of hit under a rock but pretty quickly after getting here your boys from all else failed some of them reached out to me and we we did this practice where they played the dead you know dead guy fixation from start to finish and i sang over it and we toyed with the idea of like doing a, a show but then i quickly sort of reflected on that and thought like i don't necessarily want to do i'm like I haven't been on stage for a long time. Do I want to do sort of a karaoke of myself? Um, even though it sounded fucking great, you know, and I was like, wow, I still like these songs and they can plug, they can fucking play them. I don't know. I was like kind of cool that we did that. I felt like that was our own little thing that we shared. And I was like, that's good enough.
1: I remember hearing about that. Cause I was in a band with Pat and I heard the story and I was like, wow, I wonder what happened. And here we are now. And now I finally found out. <laughs> Oh, by the way, Tim, uh, speaking of things in the past I'm wondering about, I have to ask you, 2012, Kiss It Goodbye was going to play a surprise gig at Kung Fu Necktie, and then it didn't happen. Oh, that's right. What happened?
0: I can't remember why it didn't happen. I remember wanting to do it. <laughs> I remember even going to the club and like checking it out. I think Young Widows might have been playing or something, but um, I don't know what happened. I think one of the guys couldn't do it, or maybe we weren't ready. That would have been fucking cool, though.
1: Um. Yeah, because I, uh, at, the ti- at the time, I was living in Philly, and I, I used to have a horrible drug problem, so I would always make plans and then sleep through the entire day and part of the next day. Oh, God. And I was like, okay, I'm, uh, everyone was freaking out online. Uh, Kiss It Goodbye is going to play Kung Fu Necktie, and I lived right near Kung Fu Necktie. So I got too high, fell asleep, Woke up and everyone was like, Oh, they didn't play, they canceled. And I was like, Oh good. I didn't miss anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, you didn't miss anything. But you know, dead guy just played there, so we made up for it.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah, that was it was a fucking great show. So I mean there there's a while before you're really active in music again. Do you see the legends growing? Do you see the the thirst for your previous bands growing on the internet and, and everywhere else?
0: Uh yeah. It's weird, right? Um, yeah, it's impressive how much this music scene, it's got a long memory, and, I, and I've grown to really appreciate that, you know? Um, even with no escape, you know, people reach out to me. I mean, it's funny because, it's like, you know, social media's got its problems, obviously. Um, oh, yeah. Especially those people raising kids, you got to be careful with it. But, but at the same time, I've connected with so many people, and people, so many people have reached out to me, because of one band or another and they just share what it meant to them. And I always ping them back. And it's nice to just, you know, I even talk about this with my kids, like the idea that you did something decades ago and it, and it it still reaches people and affects them. um, It's pretty humbling. It's pretty awesome. You know? And, you know, I I think it's sort of, there's luck, but not really luck that like, you know, we did something that, has stood the test of time. And I think the reason it stands the test of time, Dead Guy, I guess, in particular, is because we were doing our own thing and we weren't trying to be like this or like that, right? And I think that kind of stuff allows you to be one of those bands that sort of sets a mark or puts a stake in the ground, you know? And um, yeah, I don't know, music's sort of magical that way where it's sort of like the music and books are like that where it's like you can listen to someone's voice from decades ago or in the case of books, even longer. You know, and getting some get inside somebody's head and, and share thoughts, like it's kind of cool. So, yeah, and I've, it's like it's it slowly, you know, it's dawned on me that people like Dead Guy, <laughs> especially. Yeah, it's it, you know, it's and it's like, okay, I accept it. It's like, not like I still think we're gonna sell out every show we play or something like that, but it's like, I know, you just sort of appreciate it. It's like, well, you know, I'm proud of the music, we're I'm glad we made it, and I'm glad people like it. So, it's not not embarrassed by that or I don't, you know, but it also doesn't go to my head or anything.
1: That's good. You seem like you got a good attitude about it. And you know, it's good that, uh, just the band can be together again and everybody can be friends because I, I've been in that situation where I was in a band and I was so mad at one person in the band. And now I literally can't even remember why, right. You know, like, it's just, I don't know. It's just dumb stuff. And to be able to make those amends and be friends again and play again and and also circle back to all this stuff again later like there was almost 2 decades where i was like out of my mind on drugs and not really doing much of anything and then as soon as i walked away from that I just reconnected with everything I love, the music I love, creating things, and now I'm back, and you're back too. So it's it's just nice to come full circle and and be able to appreciate things again with like an adult mind and not get hung up on dumb shit that doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's the funny thing is like so much so much of everything is just bullshit and shitty and uh, combative or stressful, and it's like the fact that we made music and played shows and met all these people, like that's a freaking gift, right? Like not a lot of people are in my position where they can look back at something they did 25 years ago and go, Hey, let's, let's, let's pick up that where, where we, where we left it off. And it's even more popular than it was. And like, you know, like play shows and people show up and you know, all it's like, it's kind of incredible. Yeah. So yeah, I appreciate it. And it's like, I, I see these bands that are like, a thousand times bigger that credit us or showed up in the documentary. And it's kind of
1: amazing. A lot of bands. Yeah. A whole lot of bands. I'm curious, where in Philly did you live?
0: When I moved here, we lived um, in the art museum area. So Fairmount, you know, now I live closer to the Wissahickon, which is like the giant woods with trails out here where you can go mountain biking and chill like that. For those.
1: Oh, so you're still there? Oh, yeah. Nice. I was there from 2003 until 2012. But now I'm in New York City, and I've been here for the last 10 years.
0: So you went back to you went to New York.
1: Yeah, I moved here for work, and uh, it's worked out so far. I do miss Philly, though. I I need to get back there soon because I haven't visited in a while. Uh, great city.
0: Yeah, I mean, so is New York. I love New York.
1: Oh, it's the best. Yeah,
0: it kind of is. Sorry, Philly. <laughs> yeah. As far I as mean, like just stuff, it's the best, I think. <laughs>
1: It is because look, Philly is not, Philly's home. Philly is where my roots are. That's where I discovered the music that I love. And that's where my best friends are. Philly wins for that. But New York City is New York City. Like I still go, like sometimes I have to go into Manhattan to go to an office or something and I'll be walking around and I'm like, I live here. Right. This is fucked up. (laughs) Never thought that would happen. So you're still making great music to this day. We cannot neglect. Bitter branches. You just released a wonderful record last year on Equal Vision. Your neighbors are failures. Tell us about this band. When does it come together? How does it come together? So
0: yeah, it came together. I don't know, maybe a year before COVID slammed the doors and everything. So so, how long ago is that now? Three years? Four years? um so the, and my kids are all still in high school or junior high because oh it's when this band alone in a crowd played a reunion show at the church in philly and alone in a crowd is a singer from uh, side by side and guys from a raw deal and shit like that and they were playing a benefit show for howie who used to be in the band and Howie's alive he just has medical expenses so i went to that show just to see old friends and just to, you know that kind of thing and i'm getting texts at that show from my daughter saying she's at a birthday she went to her teacher's birthday party. Like her favorite teacher was having a birthday party for his really young kid who's like, you know, two or three at the time. So Stella's at this party face painting all these cute little kids that are, you know, friends of her teacher's kid. And Stella's like, there's a guy named Jeff here who says to say hi to you or says like, you know, he wants your number and whatever, right? So it turns out Jeff Tiribasi, the drummer for Bitter Branches, was at this birthday party because he's friends and neighbors with Stella's teacher, and he also has a little kid. So Stella, so it's a very sort of grown-up way of a band forming, right? So next thing I know, I'm I'm meeting Jeff for coffee. He used to be in Walleye. We know each other. We even played a show somewhat recently with No Escape, played with a band called Easy Creatures that Jeff was in at the time. And Jeff's like, yeah, I got this band, and I want you to sing. And I was like, I don't know, man. I haven't done that forever. And I just recorded the Process Black stuff, and it took me forever. Um, so I was feeling like I was going to be dragging my feet. Um, and he, but he just sort of didn't take no for an answer. He was like, just, just, you know, meet, you know, I'm going to send you, like, links to the demo, meet us at practice, and just see what happens. So that that's sort of how it started. You know, and the initial demo was way more DC, a little – it was a little hookier, and I was like, I don't know if I'm a fit for this because I'm going to make it really sort of ugly, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm really, I'm super comfortable. Just, like, I could, I can play a show over music, like, and just wing it. Like, I'm, I've gotten to that point. I've done this stuff so much that I'm just comfortable. So I just like, I just went to practice and just sort of rift over a bunch of songs and felt pretty good. And then it turned out like they sort of wanted to go a little heavier. Um, and then, you know, every band I've been in, I'm sort of blessed where they start to write sort of around my strengths and, and you know, find spaces for me and s- structure songs for my style. Yeah. And so we just sort of just started practicing. It was like, it was super easy. We all lived close to each other. Um, because Jeff, the other guys in the band all met at preschool. Like all their kids went, to, like three of them, their kids went to preschool together, and I think they met each other because one of the little kids was like wearing like a lifetime T-shirt or something. Um, <laughs> and they're like, I mean, so you know, these dads start talking, like, "Are you really into this kind of music?" That kind of thing, and it turns out, yeah, you know, one of them plays bass, one of them plays guitar, Jeff plays drums. Like they pretty much got a band, you know. And then I don't know how, they, and then I think Kevin was friends with BK, the bass player from previous bands so that's how the second guitar player ended up in there and then i think they toyed with different singers but i think they just sort of jammed and wrote some songs and then and then i came along and uh and i don't know i think we probably wrote for like six months or something like that and then recorded we were sort of recording that first ep just to hear what we sounded like and i did the vocals i had two days of vocals you know booked but i only did one because of covid like literally like it was like the last night, like I was comfortable going out and it was the last night Jeff was comfortable going out. Like all of us sort of cleared it with our wives and go, this is the last, this is it. Like, I'm going to go do these vocals. And then every, the world seems to be shutting down, you know? So, you know, everything else was done remote after that. We, and we recorded it at noise, little critter with Mike Bardzik, you know, and even he was like, yeah, my wife sort of doesn't, and not like we're all listening. Like, I make it sound like all of our wives make these decisions, but I think it's, just the fact that we all sort of discuss this with our, our wives, right? All of, us, yeah. all of us being parents and all of us being sort of responsible. These are the people we're going to talk to. But, um, yeah, so it's like I recorded it that, you know, this lat. You know, so then it was like, okay, I didn't get to do my second day of vocals. We'll just use whatever we had. And we Luckily, we had enough. Um, and then we, like, we put it out on Bandcamp. We're going to put it out ourselves. And then Atomic Action decided to pick it up. So that's how the first EP happened. And then... Um, and then it turns out Dan from Equal Vision was brilliant really to us and we connected with him and, and did the second record on
1: Equal Vision. I like that you uh, recorded with Mike Bardzik too. I, I have recorded with him before. He's great. Yeah, he's awesome.
0: Yeah, and he like, you know, I, I do this thing where I record like, I just do these runs like, um, I have, like a sort of a lyrical skeleton and then I just record singing the song a little bit different each t- each time. And then he's sort of a wizard at putting it together, like taking my seven takes and sort of knowing which ones to keep and which ones to put together and then make it into like a cohesive sounding thing, right? Um, Yeah. It's pretty cool. He's pretty fun to work with.
1: Yeah, I I like the idea of that. You just throw a bunch of takes and then he can like masterfully put it together.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what had to happen the way we, you know, with the COVID restrictions – like even and one song was even like those were truly just scratch vocals. Um, song broiler. I, I literally was sitting on the sofa, like behind Mike, just doing like just doing scratch vocals, thinking I was going to come in the next day and really do them. We just ended up using those because that's all we had, and I love how it came out. Actually,
1: I had a uh, Cole from Easy Prey on the show. Oh, nice! You collaborated with him as well on an Easy Prey song, and he said the same thing. Like. He was surprised, like you just sent a whole bunch of takes, and he was like, "Wow, I have like all this stuff to pick from."
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I find it easier, and then I found that I'm not the only one that does that. So I thought I was nuts, and then I I since learned that other people do that too. And so there's basically, I find there's like kind of two camps: there's the people who like really wordsmith it. It almost reminds me of like screenplays. Like like some directors are like, "You're going to say every word exactly," and some directors are like. I want you to do some improv and do each scene a little differently, right? And you get takes. Yeah. And so I'm definitely improv. I'm not this like strict. Like, there's lyrical sort of touchstones. Like, I might have a hook, or I might have like something that I a chorusy thing that I land on. But between A and B, I I, I go I go to the woods and do whatever I want. And I just find I say I say shit. I don't even know I don't even know where it comes from. You know, it's like. <laughs> it's way more freeing than trying to sit there and write something beautiful on uh, a piece of paper cuz you end up falling into these traps of like rhyming and i i can't stand that kind of shit so
1: yeah i write like you i uh i i just start yelling into the mic before i even write any words down and then the words become whatever i'm doing
0: right yeah i just need to have the idea in my head like if i if i know what the song is about you know it's either about a thing or a person or a mood or a situation um i just keep that in my mind and the shit just flows
1: and i like uh your method is good because it's better to have more material to work with than like what if the one take is bad right if you're sending seven different takes and doing something a little different like you can pick from those you can layer them over each other there's a lot you can oh, do yeah. with that
0: yeah and then something always magical happens like you know your voice cracks a certain way or whatever it is right? Like. Right. Yeah. I don't know. That, that's just how I like to at it.
1: In the years between the end of Kiss It Goodbye and leading up to the Dead Guy reunions and Bitter Branches, I mean, would people hit you up a lot to do bands or collaborations or that kind of thing?
0: Yeah. I get, I get hit up a lot for like you know, guest vocals, right? Um, yeah. Or, yeah, you know, like that's, uh, I, ended up, you know, I did a, you know, I think I did vocals on a Ken Mode record. You know, every time I die, I reached out to me through Instagram. And I, I knew who they were, but I didn't know they were that fucking big. You know, and then the nice thing there, too, is, like, they reached out, which was I was sort of honored. But they were also honored, which is odd to me. But um, then me and Keith, like, sort of exchanged a, a lot of really nice emails um, talking about what the song was about and sharing our experiences of, like... You know, I think his wife almost died giving birth, and my kids were born 10 weeks early, and these are like really intense experiences. And This one song that I do vocals on is sort of about that. So it's like a cool way to connect with someone um, who I'd never met, you know what I mean, and sort of create some art together. Um, and then like Aaron Edge, I ran into him when I was doing the Kiss of Goodbye sort of reunion thing. And he's like, I've got a bunch of songs, I'm gonna send them to you. And that's the Process Black stuff that ended up on Death Wish. What I learned there though is like those songs are all baked and the files were flattened accidentally, sadly. So I've discovered I need to be part of the songwriting process because like just putting vocals on a song that's already baked and being the sole person responsible for those vocals, like it was just torture for me. Like for me to like, like I couldn't do my thing so it was just it, it took me years to do three fucking songs it was like just torture um, and I, you know there was no band to go practice with like aaron was living out in seattle i have never met the drummer you know it was just like this complete projecty thing um and the only time i could practice loud was to go to the studio which was like you know not free so that was a tough experience. But, it, you know, all these things I sort of credit with getting me back out from under my rock. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, I, yeah, I feel like you, you put the energy out there and shit sort of happens, you know?
1: A hundred percent. Because I, I remember hearing, like, stories of you, but I, I would never see you, you know? <laughs> like, maybe a dead guy reunion is going to happen. Oh, we're putting this band together. Oh, I kind of know Tim. Maybe I can ask him to do it. Or it, it's like... You were around, but it was like a, a legend almost.
0: Yeah, I think because I'm not a seamster, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I definitely know a lot of people, you know, but I'm more likely to see, like, gig wagon shoots at, like, Trader Joe's than I am at a show, you know, and stuff like that. So yeah. Or meet someone for coffee, you know, I mean, not necessarily at a show. Um, yeah, and I think there's weird, almost folklore after a while. Um, some people think I'm, like, I'm a like a raging asshole or I'm aloof. And really I'm just chilling my living my life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what do you have coming up? I mean, uh, can we expect more from dead guy? Could there be more from kiss it goodbye in the future? Or is there going to be more from bitter branches? What do we have to look forward to?
0: I'd say definitely, you know, already in 2023, there's, dead guy shows and bitter branches shows that are being booked. So both those bands and both those bands are writing. So we'll see where that goes. You know, um, nothing concrete, but, um, you know, definitely with dead guy, we don't want to just, um, like, you know, we, we know the old songs now. And like, when we get together, we definitely jam on new stuff. You know, there's, there's no solid new songs yet. Like that. We like play live or anything, but, um, but we're definitely interested in writing, you know, um, that's what we do. So, um, that feels like it should be part of it. You know, when you get in a room, and jam with a bunch of guys and, and better branches, never stops. writing. Like we're all, like, there's, there's probably like five new songs. You know, Dan, is in the band now from every, he's from Paint It black lifetime, open city, kid dynamite. I'm sure there's others that I'm forgetting because the guy's prolific, but, um, He's our bass player now, and he's helping write songs. Um, and believe it or not, he and I went to the same high school, so it's kind of crazy that we're in a band together after all this time. Wow. So we, we sort of like, you know, there's a little, little bit of a new direction with Dan. I mean, you know, I, It's not necessarily new, but it's part of the evolution, you know? Um, so it's kind of fun. We got, you know, to get a bunch of new songs written with, with him playing bass. So I'm kind of digging what I'm hearing there. Yeah, so uh, I don't know, you know, 2023, I'm sure I did way more in 2022 than I thought I would. And I'm feeling 2023 is going to be the same way.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you back because you know there was just rumors of maybe Dead Guy will do this or you know maybe this will happen for so long and boom, now you're here. We've got a documentary, we've got shows, a lot of good shows, a lot of good music from you and your collaborators. So it's uh it's great stuff. Well, thanks, man. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to the The idea of New dead Guy music is very appealing to me oh i I remember what I wanted to ask you. You mentioned uh we know you're a graphic designer, we know you've done a lot of great work. you mentioned you yourself designed the dead Guy merch, right when you were in the band yeah, so how did you get into that? I mean, what did you draw a lot as a kid like what was the evolution of you making that into your career?
0: um it started with me doing a fanzine with my Brother Dennis, my best friend Tom Rock, my my older brother Tom also did photography, and you know we I, we did the scene, Boiling Point back in like I think first one came out maybe eighty eight, early eighty eight. Um, you know bands like Pearl Biscuits, Discs, Youth of Today, Side by Side, those kind of bands, Sick of It All, like all the New York scene stuff, Judge, and then eventually Out West, like Inside Out and in bands like that. Um, you know we took so you know we. We had to design the magazine, so that, that's sort of what got me into the graphic design was designing the zine, and that's still really popular. Like people are always clamoring for us to reprint it and stuff like that. Um, and those, you know, I still, I was literally texting Tom and Dennis today, so about about doing a book. Um, so that might be something to look forward to in 2023 as well. So, and so the zine definitely got me doing the zine. I was always sort of the art class kid, you know, like I always took art classes in college. You know, I took a silk screening class just to make shirts for for myself, like Gorilla Biscuits shirts or side-by-side shirts or Warzone shirts or whatever, right? All these old hardcore bands. And then I eventually started making the shirts for the bands, like Gorilla Biscuits and Burn and and stuff like that. And so by the time I was in No Escape and Dead Gut, I was designing the records and the merch. And so it all just sort of flowed. And then, you know, the reason I went to Rutgers was to actually focus on graphic design. And with the thought of it becoming some sort of a career, I guess. So that's how it all sort of evolved.
1: Graphic design is what you do full time, yes?
0: Yeah, yeah. I work for myself. My wife and I run like a, a small agency. It's called Studio Famous. And, you know, we try to work with righteous clients and, and pay the bills. That's sort of
1: sort of the goal there. It's got to be great working for yourself because I'm like you, Tim. If someone tells me that I have to do something, like, if they're like, hey, you should try singing on a song. I'm going to scream on every song for the rest of the band as long as it exists. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, I like working with people, you know? Yeah. Um, that's that's really what it boils down to. I like, yeah. Know, I like collaborating. I don't like hierarchy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's not for me. Simon Brody told me that you made the Burn logo. Is that true? It is true. Yeah. That's cool.
0: Yeah. That came out of, like, they needed a T-shirt, so I needed to make a logo for their T-shirt. So that, that's how that happened. Yeah, that's, that's an
1: it, iconic logo.
0: I know. I mean, I credit them for using the same logo for all these years. It's kind of, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty impressive that they just stuck with it too. So, it, you know, because um, they could have tried it. They could have like hopped around and done a million logos, but um, I just see that logo over and over again. It's pretty awesome.
1: I got to say. And Bitter Branches just played a show with them. So it's kind of cool. Oh, nice. How was that? It was cool. It was a lot of fun. I was in Brooklyn. Where was that? Saint Vitus. Oh wow! I'm surprised I didn't hear about that. I uh, I live pretty close to Saint Vitus, so I'm kind of retired from shows now. But uh, I'll still go once in a while. You know, I'm just too old. It's hard to stand up. I don't want to be around drunk people. I don't want people walking in front of me and bumping into me. I'm too I'm too irritable. I hear you. Well, Tim, look. I mean, you've done a lot. You're still doing a lot. I'm glad that you're back and uh, that we have more music from you and more to look forward to. And I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show. I've been listening to you a long time and uh, this was great. Thank you. All
0: right. Oh, thanks man. It was a good talk.
1: And there you have it. Tim singer you know it was uh pretty intense talking to him just because i respect him so much he's a legend in my mind and dead guy kiss it goodbye tim singer himself like i was explaining to him in the interview it was like the stuff of legends because he wasn't around he wasn't performing i didn't see them back in the day you know i didn't get into hardcore until kiss it goodbye was around but i just didn't catch them so wow great conversation I learned a lot, and the guy has done a lot. And I was blown away that Tim and Keith were out of the band already by the time Fixation came out.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, and uh, it was a pretty, pretty quick uh, transition to them doing uh, Kiss a Goodbye. Um, and, and I remember playing early shows with them at CBGBs, and I mean, either way, I, I, I resented the the dead guy lineup at the time for not yeah. being the fixation on a coworker lineup. And I, I liked Kiss It Goodbye, but it just made me want want my dead guy back.
1: <laughs> so you were around at that time. That's interesting, actually performing with Kiss It Goodbye.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, man, that was the weirdest show. It was us, Kiss It Goodbye, Black Army Jacket, and Sheer Terror. As much as, I mean, I love what Dead Guy does musically a huge influence but man paul bears in between song banter you gotta love it he was he was on one that night that's the one thing that i remember most about that show
1: yeah and it was it was just interesting to hear uh his whole story you know moving out to seattle and then how uh his bandmate tricked him into listening to the the other dead guy during that recording session that was funny
2: <laughs> yeah it's i mean i wonder i do remember liking uh <clears throat> Swinging with the Dead Guy Quintet, but again, it, it's just like it, it, we played with them with the, the the second lineup a lot, and Kiss it Goodbye, and it just the something about having seen that band at the height of their power just it wasn't quite the same. But I, again, uh, all that stuff, fixation on uh, on a coworker is one thing, but uh, Swinging with the Dead Guy Quintet is a great record on its own. Kiss it Goodbye was great on their own. And it's just like, all it took was having seen that lineup. And it's just like, mm, it's almost there, but it's not quite the same thing. But a lot to live up to.
1: Yeah, big time. I And it key, or Tim even said that he played into it a little bit at New York shows, like maybe turning people against the other dead guy and that type of thing. And I'm just glad I can look at it all objectively now, because I, you know, I, I didn't see any of the bands back in the day. I barely knew about them. So I I, I listen to it all now. I think it's all good. Like, I like that newer Dead Guy record. I've heard it once or twice, but I don't have all the history and the, uh you know, I didn't have like old Dead Guy to compare it against. Right. I
2: I, w- I will say that uh the fact that uh Steve Evitz was the one who recorded all that stuff, man, I remember recording at, at Trax East and being like, I'm recording vocals in the same room with, you know, with the Dead Guy masters from that record, like, you know. I was touching the Ark of the Covenant or some shit, um, and it's amazing to hear all the stuff that he's. I, some of the stuff that uh, he 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 had been around forever, you know, just doing uh, that. No Escape and the Boiling Point fanzine and just – it really goes to show that people that stay involved in the hardcore scene, you know, that –
1: Simon, did you like at the end how I mentioned you? Because I said that you told me he made the Burn logo and then we were talking about that.
2: That Burn design, that's iconic. It's amazing to know, like, how much of things that we take for granted as iconic stuff in in Burn that that somehow – was touched by Tim Singer even more than we know.
1: Yeah, I, that's why I was glad that I talked to you before I talked to Tim because I had no idea he made that logo, and that's one of the most recognizable logos in hardcore.
2: I love that shirt. I love.
1: That yeah. Shirt. Well, great conversation. We are off to a very very strong start in 2023 with the new scene. I've been waiting to talk to Tim for a long time, and it was a great conversation. And Simon, it's great to have. You here back as well. So let's check in. How are we doing? Now, we left on a cliffhanger in the beginning. I heard you on pure pleasure and you were having some tooth problems and I think you may have been experimenting with marijuana and I was concerned, you know, because uh because of our history, you know. Uh we we had some issues that we worked through and we have we've have gotten over those issues. But where where do we stand now, Simon? What's going on?
2: Oh, um <laughs> I have to say that I, uh, listening back to that peer pleasure podcast, uh, there was, uh, a, a lot of wincing going on. <laughs> um, what I felt like I had to do to, uh, be able to do that podcast was probably not what was best for me. Um, definitely rethinking my, uh, I was rethinking my, uh, relationship to, to weed and how helpful it was for me. Um shortly thereafter just cut cut back drastically on on my weed use uh i still do it once in a while but i'm living right now
1: all right now you you're okay though we're not gonna go off the over the edge or you know everything's good
2: um yeah everything everything's great um i have to say that i've uh moved five times in the past year um I think the last time we spoke, I was talking about I had just moved back east and I was really missing my kids. So I moved back here. I had to do the right thing. And in order to do that, it really required me to get my shit together and stop smoking weed to the extent that I was. It was not helpful.
1: Christmas was tough for me. It was tough for you as well.
2: It was um, definitely some just the the weather we got. Holy fuck
1: did you get snowed in or something?
2: Oh, it was, it was bad. Um, and it was bad in a lot of different places. It was, uh, consistently like 30 below for a few days. And there were a lot of people like checking up on me or like, Hey, you probably don't want to leave the house today. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> so, um, I, I think that kind of, uh, made things a little bit, uh, a little bit, more pronounced uh the holidays and kind of uh the polar vortex shit, whatever happened there, yeah, not fun for a lot of people,
1: yeah, Christmas was um I'm trying to think about how much detail I can go into here. well, let me start with this. I wasn't broke this year, so i I got everybody really nice gifts that felt good, and because I wasn't broke, I could rent a car and just drive down to see my family, which was good, so since I had the car. I took the opportunity to just drive around to, like, old places in my hometown that I used to go to. Like, I drove to both of the houses that we grew up in, and that was a trip, and, like, all these memories came back, and I drove by, like, old friends' houses and places I used to work and hang out. I I don't know. I've been thinking about the, uh, the past a lot, because, Simon, as you know from, like, being involved with the program and all that stuff. There's a lot of self-discovery and you basically have to write down your entire life and read it to somebody else. And so I've just been thinking about the past a lot. And I think it's healthy. I'm trying to make it not go in like a unhealthy direction though, because sometimes I can get a little too fixated and think like, oh, I should have done this or should have done that. But whatever happened, happened. I'm here now. But I do realize that I am holding on to some stuff from the past a little too hard. And Sometimes it can make like visiting home a little tense, but I I see that now. So I just need to let go even more.
2: Right. Uh, Nostalgia often is the first step before modeling and and feeling sorry for yourself. Um, I think that both you and I right now, we need to turn our attention to the fact that 2023, big year. It's going to be a big year for all of us. You've been doing incredible work. I, I'll tell you too, the, the other thing that got me through the holidays, even though I'm I'm snowed in, being able to talk to my friends, uh, FaceTime with, uh, with my family, with my stepmom, with, uh, my girlfriend, Carly, it, it just, it's, it, it's great. It's even if they're not right here, having people that support me. And I'll tell you, I mean, this is a different drowning man in the fact that, you know, man, we really enjoy being around each other. And creating stuff together, and it feels great.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I, I I hear you on the 2023. I don't have, I don't really have New Year's resolutions anymore because I'm always working on myself anyway. So it's like everything's being taken care of, or in the process of being taken care of. I do have. Let's talk about resolutions, though. I do have one. I do have one for 2023, and I'm going to tell it to you, Simon. Okay, in 2022, I invested a lot of money in my overall infrastructure meaning i've got new equipment new computers new clothing and i bought some new toys as well um in 2023 i would like to spend all that money on getting out of debt <laughs> because i can't buy any more shit i got i'm ho- hopefully i got all the buying shit out of my system in 2023 i'll pay off the last of my credit cards get out of debt and maybe move to a nicer place that's my plan how about you simon
2: well i my my new year's resolutions uh yeah no, the, the, we uh we we have a lot of stuff coming up in in 2023 we have this uh new record uh finished um it, it's funny that you mentioned the the that your resolution is getting out of debt i think that for a lot of people you know after covid was over that you know there's been a a readjustment period. I think that there is a lot of people kind of uh trying to stay out of the margins of uh the late stage capitalism whatever whatever's <laughs> going on, man, I don't know, but uh I think everybody is struggling with that stuff, and it's great that we're we're moving forward and that we're you know that is something that everyone needs to confront kind of uh I feel like that we're really kind of cleaning up the aftermath of, of of COVID. Well, if it's not happening again already, um yeah. So, yeah, I mean it, it's uh we're picking ourselves up, dusting ourselves off. This record that we're doing was supposed to come out in 2022. It's going to be 2023. Um we have really been working to make sure that it's it's the best record that we that we can do and uh, it's going to be a good record and that's been taking time to do especially with me living uh back in Kansas so logistical difficulties but uh we're getting through all that and also trying to stay out of debt doing it
1: that's the trick that's the trick yeah that, i'm i'm actually happy that uh for all the money i spent on computers and microphones and equipment and monitors and everything else i didn't kill myself like i'm i'm actually whatever money comes in, I'm like putting it right towards paying everything off.
2: That's great. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's the thing. Um, in 2022, we started making income from the band again. It, it's, it's sustainable. All the money stuff is best. If, uh, not handled by me. Thank you, David. <laughs> Thank you, Matt Roy. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's just figuring out what your limitations are, what you're good at. And, uh, Yeah, we're all works in progress, and also money sucks.
1: Yeah, yeah. Money is uh, not great. I've never been wonderful at handling it, but I'm certainly a lot better than I was uh, X amount of years ago. That's for sure.
2: There was definitely a time where I didn't like looking at my bank account because I didn't like seeing how I was being nickel and dimed. Apparently, that's not how adulthood works so uh
1: there was a time where i was running at a negative one thousand dollar deficit constantly and i had to spend 150 dollars per day just to uh get by you know what i'm saying
2: I, I i i was talking to a friend of mine the other day like when you how why do they charge you money for not having money uh <laughs> that's that's uh that's how late stage capitalism works
1: yeah, you don't have any money. That will be sixty dollars, please. Right. And when I look at my old bank statements, they used to get two k a year for me just in overdraft fees.
2: Uh, yeah, it, it's uh it, it's not a fun thing to look at. And again, it's something that you can uh, try to avoid. Try to stick your head in the sand. Try to you know, I don't know, maybe smoke weed about it. <laughs> That's <laughs> not helping anything. Um, no. So yeah, I. I, I uh, feel like 2023 is is really the year that we're getting focused, we're getting ready for uh um metal and beer fest. Actually that is one thing I do want to talk to you about.
1: Oh good, yes, As someone in
2: recovery, um they apparently the bands playing metal and beer fest, they get matched with breweries and have to uh decide on a beer name. And it usually has something to do with uh with a, a, a song that you've written, you know, some kind of wordplay. I I had one that I thought was genius. That had nothing to do with that, but why can't a beer be named "Crying Jail Juice"?
1: Crying Jail Juice.
2: I mean, that's what it is to me at this point. If I drink beer, either <laughs> crying or ending up in jail. Right? Is it is that not accurate?
1: Drowning man's crying jail juice. No, no that no, they didn't like that. What about just jail juice?
2: No, uh, it, it will end in hops. <laughs>
1: That See, you're a master at this. I mean, uh, look, you, I'm confident you're going to come up with something wonderful because you're like the master of those uh, catchy song titles. I think probably the best song title ever is, If God Loves a Winner, He's Going to Want to Fuck Me in a Minute.
2: You know, the strange thing is that uh, if you really look at that song lyrically, uh, a lot of this record is like that. I mean, it's our first uh, attempt at doing sort of a, a concept album.
1: Oh. Um, But I have to say, Simon, I listened to the new singles again today. And uh, if that's any indication of how the album is going to be, you know, I think people are going to love it. Because those two new singles are great. They just sound like classic, awesome Drowning Man.
2: um, I I think that we needed, we felt like at the time we needed to show people that we were capable of doing what we did and and we kind of, you know, pulled from our playbook, did everything like this is a Drowning Man song. Uh, This album is not going to be like that. Uh, We're self-recording a lot of it. Uh, Some of the songs are already finished. Uh, I mean, all all the songs are, are pretty much finished, but several of them are in a stage where they're waiting for vocals. And yes, we have those two songs that are like this. This sounds like drowning man, but then we're also doing things that, uh, people haven't heard before. I don't think it's going to be unexpected. It's a logical next step from what we were doing, but I think doing the scream, sing, scream, sing thing has, has been done to death. So if we come back trying to bring that same old thing, I think we need to find a new way to, uh, to uh deliver that, and that's what we've been doing. that's also why this this record has been taking so long. One of the songs that just got recorded was written a year ago, and we've been fiddling with it and fine tuning it and uh making sure it's it's uh gonna you know stun people when they
1: hear it well, I'm excited this album will come out this year in twenty
2: twenty three yes um depending on um how the the pressing I don't know what that whole situation. I haven't talked to uh, Casey and Joe about that stuff. The one thing that that has really developed uh, in 2022 and is going into 2023, like our relationship with iodine is, is is great in the fact that they know that, you know, I've, I've been moving a lot. I've been doing stuff for my, my family, for my kids who uh, you know, not not to repeat what I said the last time but i i i I love those little people deeply and they they understand that they're you know they're both dads um we're doing what we need to do to uh make sure our family is taken care of and also part of that means that we need to make sure that we're taken care of we need to be doing things that make us happy and uh we bring that back to our families and it's it's healing it's, it's it's hopeful and it's helpful um i, I listening to uh your, your twitch channel yes um playing call of duty badly ironically yeah um i, I might have to serve a cease and desist on you because that was my bit for a while
1: really yeah uh, at the wait you're a call of duty player um <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: so i i got an xbox at the beginning of uh the pandemic uh yeah. a friend of mine and actually a a, a bandmate uh the, the other project that i'm doing um yes called judgment pig <laughs> uh and devin malinowski yeah the, uh, semi-professional uh esports athlete and is very very good at call of duty yeah. and uh he was going to be training me to uh, be a better gamer, which involved him just shooting me a lot and, <laughs> and making me really bummed out. So, if you ever want to, uh, let me know, and I'll uh, Judgment Pig will, will uh, face you in the in the Gulag showers. Um, that that's where we do most of our uh, one by ones, and uh, it's brutal.
1: No, th- this is exactly what I need. And by the way, Simon, I'm not playing badly. Ironically, I'm just bad.
2: <laughs> um, oh, oh, me too. Yes, me yeah. too. And and the, the the great thing is, then I get to turn that around on Devin for not training me properly.
1: I love that. Yeah, you have to get me involved in this. I need a squad, and I I, I need to get better. And th- this might sound crazy, but nothing makes me happier. Like, forget the podcast, forget personal accomplishments, forget you know years of being clean. The thing that makes me the happiest in the world is when I win Warzone solos.
2: I I I am useless in Warzone, um, and people still want to play it with me, and it's 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 a death wish because yeah, we'll get everyone blown up. But uh, man, I, I I just don't understand Warzone solos. So yeah, I mean, I I, I do. I, I've I've taken a bit of a layoff from playing Call of Duty because. Um, I, yes i am really bad at it but it's still fun it's still fun um and uh i i i do enjoy it but i also wanted to throw in a, a plug for uh my new band judgment pig
1: yes i'm glad you did and i i, I didn't re- i didn't realize that you were a call of duty player which just connects us even more but now that you mention it there is this picture of you there's like uh a- some live pictures of you out there, and you're wearing a Call of Duty shirt. And I remember seeing those and being like, "Yes,
2: you, you yes. know what? You know what that is? What's that? That that's a that's a championship Call of Duty T-shirt. The guy at really? Marshalls told me so, and I, I like to wear it to upset Devin because it's the belt. <laughs> that's the belt. He can't ever have the belt. I have the belt.
1: But <laughs> um, well, yeah, we got to get some games going. We got we have to.
2: Yeah, um, definitely, definitely. Um, Excellent. Always a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Simon, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. It's great to catch up with you.
2: It's great to catch up with you. Um, Let's do it again. I'll be listening uh, on my drives from Kansas City to Vermont.
1: Excellent. And listen, I'm back next week with another big guest and another great show. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time.